This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. We're going to continue in our studies of Proverbs Illustrated, and we want to begin with Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Proverbs 13, 24. Then we're going to go to chapter 22, verse 6, and we're going to look here at the proper treatment of children. Maybe I should put that as the biblical, the scriptural treatment of children. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, it says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth, loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Now, before we go over to Proverbs 22, verse 6, we want to look a little bit at this verse here. It says, He that spareth his rod. Uh, the word rod there, you look that up in Hebrew, it means a branch or a stick. We may be looking here at uh, something like a switch. But he that spareth his switch or his branch hateth his son. The word hate there means to hate as a foe, hate as an enemy. If we fail to discipline our children, and what we're looking at here is spanking. If we fail now to spank our children, we hate them. That's not what the contemporary uh, thought of the day is, is it? Oh, you got to be a friend of your child. You got to give the child everything he wants. You got to do, you know, don't, don't be disciplining the child. You're going to make him to be some kind of a mental illness or something. No, that's not what the scriptures say. That's man's thinking. And man does not know how to direct his own steps, Jeremiah 10, 23. Now, not every child needs to be spanked. That must make sense. And also, the spanking is not to be done when we are angry. We're to do it because we love them. Do it at a time whenever we are in control of ourselves. So he that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. The word betimes means promptly. And we're not going to discipline them in this way and not give them an explanation as to why they're being disciplined in this way. You know, we need to talk to our children, help them to understand the biblical way. And see, that's what Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 talks about as well. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So right there, we're to train our children. We are to discipline our children in the way that they should go. Now, I want to look at an example Back in 1 Samuel, we want to begin in chapter 2, verses 22 to 25, because this is talking about Eli's sons, and they were not properly disciplined. They were not scripturally disciplined. In 1 Samuel 2, look at verses 22 
to 25. 1 Samuel 2, 22 to 25. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. We're going to have someone who will say when it comes to disciplining children, well, you, need, you need to talk to your children. You know, well, that's what Eli did. Eli talked to his sons, but he did not discipline them. We go to chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. Chapter 3, verses 11 to 13, here in 1 Samuel. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all the things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever, for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sins made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. Well, we've already seen that Eli talked to his sons, but that is not restraining his sons. They needed to be restrained. They needed to be stopped, and talking to them did not stop them. Eli needed to go further. Maybe earlier in their lives, he needed to do what the Proverbs writer said. He may must have withheld discipline from his sons. Well, what happened? Well, in chapter 4, we come down to verse 10, and we want to read through verse 11. 1 Samuel 4, 10. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. And there was a very great, great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. Because Eli had not properly disciplined his children, they were killed in battle, and God did that, but he did it with the sword of the Philistines. How many of our children today are going to be destroyed in hell because we have not properly disciplined them? If there's not proper discipline in the home, if children do not respect the authority of the home, they're not going to respect the authority of law enforcement. They're not going to respect the authority of government because respect of authority begins in the home. And Eli's children did not have that. And how many of our children do not have that respect for authority that the Bible requires them to have? 
while we're on that subject, let's go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Talking about respect for authority. Chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. We're to have proper respect for authority. Now we understand that if authority, things that are laws such as that, are in uh, contradiction to God's laws, then we must follow God. That's what the apostles did when they said we ought to follow God rather than men, or ought to obey God rather than men there in Acts chapter 5. But we need to have respect for authority, and that training begins in the home. Now, it is a Christian father's responsibility. The mother also has that responsibility as well. But in Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 4, Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 4, it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, first of all, he says, provoke provoke not your children to wrath. The word provoke there comes from the Greek word paragizo, and Strong's defines it this way, to anger alongside that is enrage. Do not enrage your children, disciplining them in a wrong manner will enrage your children. It will discourage your children as well. So again, proper discipline. And then he says, bring them up. That comes from two different Greek words there. One of them, altos, which uh, reflects the pronoun of that is self. So you bring them up. This is a Strong's definition. But what is bring them up? To rear up to maturity, to cherish or train. Train them, as it mentioned there in the book of Proverbs. Bring them up or train them in the way that they should go. And bring, what are the things? The nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word nurture there from the Greek word padea, it means, this is Strong's definition, tutorage, education, training, disciplinary correction, whatever it takes, do it in the nurture and admonition. Admonition from the Greek word nuseia, get that correct there. And Strong's defines that as calling attention to, that is by implication, mild rebuke or warning. So train them in the Lord's way, that's of the Lord, and do it by rebuking them when it is needed, calling attention to the things they need to do, and warning them what is going to happen if they do not do the Lord's will. 
And that is the Christian's father's responsibility. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The problem today with so many fathers is they're not there, they're unconcerned or whatever, and the mother has to take over their job. And moms can do a good job of that, but the Bible says fathers are to do that, and then mothers are to as well. We need to train our children in the way that God would have them to be. Now, that doesn't mean they're all going to pay attention, does it? People make their own choices. Just because we train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord doesn't mean that they're always going to follow that because children make their own decisions. It doesn't mean you're a bad parent if your children don't obey God. They make their own decisions. But we are to do our best in training the children in the things that they need to be doing. Now, the next proverb that we want to illustrate is Proverbs 16, 18. And these are the precursors of calamity. The precursors of calamity. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. How many people today have a problem with pride? uh, All of us have probably had a problem with pride at one time or another. But pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit goes before a fall. I want to look at two examples of this. The first one will be the example of Goliath there in 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to be looking at verses 41 to 51. Pride goeth before destruction, haughty spirit before a fall. 1 Samuel 17, 41. And a Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. The Philistine here is Goliath. Verse 42, And when the Philistine looked about, he saw David and disdained him. For he was but a youth and ruddy, that means reddish, and of a fair countenance. This wasn't any warrior that was come out to battle Goliath. This is a youth. He's a, a young person. He's got a fair countenance. Verse 43, And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. All right, what does he mean about staves? Well, back up to verse 39 and look at it in verse 40. Said David girded his sword upon his and upon his armor, that's Saul's armor and stuff, and assayed he attempted to go, for he had not proved it. David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them, and David put them off him. And he took his staff, that would be his shepherd's staff, in his hand, and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So David's got a shepherd's staff here in his hand. And and Goliath says, 
You're come, am I a dog? You're coming to me with a stick? You think you're going to defeat me with a stick? So he cursed David by his gods. His gods would be Dagon. In verse 44, And the Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. He's telling him, you don't have a chance. You just come on over here, and the buzzards are going to eat you, because I'm going to kill you so easily. Well, verse 45, Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. And he had defied the God of Israel. Back in chapter 17, verse 10, the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Well, they were all afraid to do that. Verse 11 says, When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So none of the warriors would go fight. But here's this young shepherd boy with his staff. He's got his sling. And he's gone out to fight. Well, what did David continue to say? Verse 46. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. Do you think David was confident? He had trust in God. He had faith in God. This man, Goliath, was nine foot nine inches tall. Back in verse 4 of chapter 17, says, There went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Well, six cubits, you multiply that times 18 inches, and then it's a span that gives you nine foot nine inches tall. This was a huge man. And David, being probably the size of the normal Israelite that day, was around five foot, a little over five foot tall. Goliath was about four foot taller than David was. Big man, warrior. But David said, I trust God. And today, verse 6, this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and will take thine head from thee, and will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the beast of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Who's David given the glory to? He's giving the glory to God. He knows that by the hand of God that he's going to defeat this giant of a man. Well, this giant of a man, pride, arrogant, haughty. He didn't have any concerns about this young shepherd boy coming out there to fight against him. But David said, I'm going to, I'm going to do to you what you said you were going to do to me because of God. Verse 47, David continued, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. The battle is God's. You're not going to fight against God and win. 
God will always win. Those on God's side will always win. Whether we suffer and die on this earth, we still win. Verse 48. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David didn't back up. He didn't turn and run the other direction. He ran toward this giant of a man. He ran toward the army of the Philistines to meet Goliath. Verse 49. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So you'll notice David is running and he's got this sling going with him running. He's got more forward motion going and when he slang that stone, it sunk into Goliath's forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. Verse 50, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. You think Goliath might have been a proud man? Absolutely he was. And again, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Let's go to the New Testament and look at another example. And that is the death of Herod there in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 is where we want to begin looking here. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 12, now this Herod, give a little bit of background about him. Verse 1 says, about that time Herod, this is Herod Agrippa, the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. The word vex there means to injure, oppress, harm, or afflict. And he did. Verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. James, the brother of John, was the first apostle who was to be executed. Now, Judas had already committed suicide, so James is not the first apostle to die. But he is the first apostle to die because of his faith in God. He was executed. Verse 3 says, and because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread, and when he apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him into four quartians of soldiers, that's 16 soldiers, to keep him intending after the Passover to bring him forth to the people. Just a little bit here, the King James Version there has Easter. Uh, the, Greek, the Greek word there is not Easter. It's the same word as Pascha, which is the same word that is translated Passover everywhere else. Easter is not a religious holiday. It is a holiday made up by man, not God. But anyway, Peter escaped and such as that. So that just kind of gives us an idea of what kind of person that Herod was. 
we drop down to verse 20 now. It says, And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a god and not of a man. Oh, they were, they were really buttering him up, weren't they? You talk about flattery. But he gave this great oration, kind of like a politician today, giving his great speech. And they shouted, It's the voice of a god and not of a man. Well, what happened? Do you think he was a little proud? Oh, yeah. Verse 23, And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. It happened to Goliath, and it happened to Herod, both of them by the hand of God. God used David against Goliath. God used an angel here to smite Herod, and worms ate him. All right, so those are the precursors of calamity. Let's look at another proverb here about things contrasted and evaluated. That's Proverbs chapter 21, verse 3. Proverbs 21, 3, and again, this is things contrasted and evaluated. It reads, to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. I want to look at one example here of this in the New Testament. We could go back to the life of King Saul back there in the book of 1 Samuel and see the very same thing. But I wanted to go to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. And I want to begin reading here in verse 13. Again, things contrasted and evaluated. Beginning here, chapter 23, verse 13 in the book of Matthew. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither suffer, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. All right, the Pharisees and the scribes, a little bit of background about them. The scribes were the ones who wrote the Word of God. They copied the Word of God. You know, they didn't have copy machines and printing presses and things back then, so they would handwrite the Word of God. The Pharisees considered themselves to be the most straightest or strictest sect there between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they considered themselves to be very religious. They considered themselves to be followers of God. So they were being evaluated and then contrasted. Verse 14. 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour women's or widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. For a pretense maketh long prayer. You might recall the publican and the Pharisee that were there praying to God. And how did that Pharisee pray? Oh God, you're lucky to have me. I'm so wonderful. And yet the publican said, be kind to me, be uh, have grace on me. What are, I, I'm a sinner, in other words. I'm a sinner. Well, the Pharisee was the one who was praying to himself there. But anyway, continuing on. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass land and sea to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Oh, yeah, you go look for converts from the Gentile world to make them a proselyte, and then you make them worse than you are. Verse 16, Woe to ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he's a debtor. Ye fools and blind guide, ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold? And, who shall swear by the altar, it is nothing, but whoso sweareth by the gift that is on it, his guilty? Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift? Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it, and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth on the throne, or sitteth thereon. Verse 23, here we're going to look at to obey is greater than sacrifice. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. Right there. What is Jesus saying? You are so particular that you pay the tithe of these plants, these herbs, but you left out law, judgment, mercy, and faith. You've left these things out. <laughs> it would be kind of like King Belshazzar of Babylon You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. These are the weightier matters, and you don't do them. And then he says, You blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. A gnat, the smallest unclean insect, the camel, the largest unclean animal. You're just, you've been evaluated. You've been contrasted and evaluated and found lacking. Let's go to another proverb. We want to look at the true measure of strength, and that is Proverbs 24, verse 10. Proverbs 24, verse 10. The true value of strength. If thou faint in the day of adversity, Thy strength is small. Thy strength is small. 
I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking here at Paul's strength in weakness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, not 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Beginning there in verse 1, it is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. All right, stopping there for a moment, the third heaven. There were three heavens considered there, and there are three heavens still today. There's the heavens where the birds fly, the heavens where the sun, the moon, and the stars are, and the heaven where God's throne is. Those are the three heavens. He was called up to the third heaven. I knew a man, verse 3, whether in body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was called up into paradise, and I heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet for myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seemeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. All right, so Paul is saying, I don't want people to think more of me than I am. I am a human being. Well, and right there he's saying, just to make sure, Paul didn't glory, get prideful, have that haughty spirit. God gave him a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what that thorn in the flesh was, some kind of physical disability or whatever. We don't know what it was, but we do know that it kept Paul humble, and it also, Paul wanted it removed. We continue reading there. Verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Three times. Verse 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then verse 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. The true measure of strength, weak as a human being, strong in Christ. He wanted that infirmity to be removed. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient. And he said, that's all I need. I'm weak in the flesh. I'm weak. I'm a weak human being. But I'm going to be strong in the Lord.
you know, you think about Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 there. Galatians 2, 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We can be strong spiritually, though we be weak human beings. That's the true measure of strength. Now let's look at the treatment of enemies. The treatment of enemies. Proverbs 24, 17. Proverbs 24, 17. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. The word stumbleth there, the American Standard Version says is overthrown. So do not what? Do not rejoice when thine enemy falleth or when he's overthrown. How many people are happy when their enemy is taken care of? Whether that be a world enemy or a personal enemy, don't rejoice in that. And another verse to go right along with that is Proverbs 25, 21. Proverbs 25, 21. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. If we have an enemy, and that enemy thinks that we're like he is, and he's thirsty, what does he think we're going to do? Well, you think about what they do to Christ. Gave him vinegar. But what's the Christian's response? Give him something to drink. What's the Christian's response if our enemy is hungry? Give him something to eat. We go over to the New Testament. Well, let's see. Let's go to Romans 12, 19, and 20 concerning this first part here, or this part we just looked at. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 and 20. It says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, therefore, or I will repay, saith the Lord. Somebody treats us bad. What do we want to do? Human response, get revenge. But what does God say? Avenge not yourselves. Give place to wrath. For his written vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. God can do to an individual a lot worse than we can do. And he is just in doing it. We're not. We are not to get revenge. That is a sin. Allow God to handle the situation. And then he says, verse 20, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Verse 21, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. What about those coals of fire on his head? Well, he would think you're not going to help him. 
He's thirsty, you're not going to give him anything or give him anything good. He's hungry, you're not going to give him anything good or anything to eat. That just means you're going to cause him to be ashamed by the way he's thinking about you. You're going to act as a Christian. You're going to act as a follower of God. You're going to do what God tells you to do, not what normal human thinking would cause you to do. Now, concerning that first verse, though, let's go back to Proverbs 24, 17, and then we'll go to an example of that one. Proverbs 24, 17, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Let's look at an example of that from the book of Obadiah. Obadiah, one little chapter there, so... The book of Obadiah, we're going to look first of all at verse 1. It says, The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord concerning Edom. All right, we're talking about Edom. The Edomites were the descendants there of Esau. They were to the south there of Israel. They're the south of the Dead Sea. These are the Edomites. So this is Edom that he's talking about. He says, We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. All right, now what is one of the reasons? We drop down to verse 10. It says here, For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. No Edomites anymore. Verse 11, In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces or his substance, and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger, Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity, and in verse 14, Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. So the Edomites there, they were rejoicing because they hated the Jews. They hated Judah. You think about talking about whenever Babylon came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And you were there, you were trying to catch those that were escaping. You were taking care of them. You were going in there and taking their substance. You were rejoicing in that day. What's going to happen to Edom? Edom was going to be destroyed because of that. So what did the proverb there have to say about that? Proverb chapter 24, verse 17. 
Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. Let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. And it also goes along with the other one. If thine enemy hunger or thirst, give him drink. If he hunger, feed him. What were the Edomites doing? They were capturing them. They were taking their things away. That is not the way that God's people would act. Now let's look at another proverb we want to illustrate, and that is the workings of a guilty conscience. The workings of a guilty conscience. Proverbs 28.1 The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. Look at 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. This is the Syrian host, the Syrian army. In 2 Kings chapter 7, we want to look at verses 3 through 7. It says there, and there were four leprous men at the entering of the gate. Now, what we're looking at here is whenever the Syrians came down and they were uh, besieging the city of Samaria, people were starving to death. Some had even eaten their children. Well, there were four leprous men here at the gate of the city of Samaria. And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. You know, they had three choices. They're going to the city and die, sit there and die. Well, if they go to the Syrians, they might live. But they're gonna die anyway. So if they kill us, so what? Might be a little easier of a death. Verse 5. And they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians, and when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against this the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore, they arose and fled in the twilight, left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. They ran. What did the proverb say? When no man pursueth, they fled. They were wicked. You can continue reading there the story about what happened. But we're going to go to another example. And that is the fear of Herod. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 1 and going down to verse 10. It says at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus, and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. And therefore mighty works do show themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, 
his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. Verse 6. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake, them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And the disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. The beheading here, John was afraid of Herod, wasn't he? He was afraid of the people. And yet he had John beheaded. See, we could look at the other side of this proverb, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. John was not hesitant to tell Herod that it wasn't lawful for him to have his brother Philip's life. And it says he had told him that we're told in the present tense. He continually told him it was not legal for him to have his brother Philip's wife. It wasn't lawful for that. John was bold. Herod was in fear. So was the Syrian army. Now one last one, and this will be the last one in the Proverbs Illustrated Lessons. How to Obtain Mercy. Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. We go to Luke chapter 15 and the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, reading about the prodigal son beginning here in verse 11. It says there, and he said, a certain man had two sons. This is Jesus giving the parable. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that follow to me. And he divideth unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with righteous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He hit rock bottom, in other words. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with a husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Can you imagine being willing to eat pig slop? That's rock bottom. Verse 17 says, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. He's willing to make things right. This is his plan. I'm going to do it. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So there's the plan. He just needs to execute the plan. And he did. Verse 20 says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That father had been waiting. 
He knew that to go after that sun would do no good. The sun had to hit rock bottom. The sun had to make his own choice to come back. And he did, and he obtained mercy. Verse 21, The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and bring his, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. And was lost. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. You think about what is he talking about here? Well it takes us back to chapter 15 verses 1 and 2. Then drew near unto him all publicans and sinners for to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Well, in this parable, and we haven't got down to the older brother yet, but the Pharisees and the scribes are represented by the older brother. The younger brother here is represented here by the publicans and sinners. They were willing to come to Christ, and in doing so they would receive mercy. The older son, the Pharisees, well, verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field, and he came and drew nigh to the house, and heard he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things mean. He said unto them, My brother is come, and thy father hath killed a fatty calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed out any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatty calf. You never gave me a goat. And you killed him the calf. And he wasted everything. Verse 31, he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother, he is your brother, was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. See, the Pharisees and scribes should have been rejoicing that publicans and sinners were willing to come to God, but they weren't. They weren't willing at all, but those publicans and sinners knew how to obtain mercy by forsaking their former lifestyles and coming to God. Well, again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.